You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open them to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2 is where we're going to be this morning. And if you don't have a Bible, right in the seat back in front of you, there should be a Bible. And if you don't own a Bible, that Bible there is yours now, all right? We would love for you to have that. It's important that you have God's Word open in front of you right now because um, I don't have anything of my wisdom to say, but I believe God's Word has a lot for us. And we're going to look at just one verse this morning, a verse that you uh, might be familiar with. If you're in a discipleship group in our church, you probably memorize this at some point over this past year, or maybe this is a verse that uh, sometime in your life you've put to memory or you've read it a few times before, and um, it's our prayer that this morning uh, God would use this verse to help us understand uh, maybe in a greater way what it means to live for Him and how to have faith in Jesus. Uh, This verse is all about faith in Jesus, what it should look like, how it should look like in our lives, and and why it's important to live our faith in Jesus. So I ask this question as we start this morning, how is your faith in Jesus? How is your faith in Jesus? Now when I ask that, I don't mean do you attend church regularly, do you say that you love God, did you read your Bible this morning, do you evangelize, and did you say a prayer at kids camp sometime a long time ago to accept Jesus into your heart. Those are all wonderful things, but what I'm talking about when I talk about your faith in Jesus, I'm talking about how has the truth of the gospel changed your life? What is different because you understand that you were a sinner in need of forgiveness, saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And how is your life different because you believe in Jesus? All those other things are great and they're wonderful practices that followers of Jesus should have. But if it's not based and rooted in the truth of the gospel, then it's just a whole bunch of behavior modification. And God's looking for heart transformation, heart change, and that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And if I'm honest with you this morning... I feel like sometimes my faith in Jesus is kind of like this yo-yo. It's kind of going up and down, and there's moments and there's times where I'm fully and completely believing God's word to be true and acting upon it in obedience and in faith and giving glory to him with my life, and then there's other times when that's just really hard to do, when the temptation of sin and to doubt and to act in my flesh and my own strength comes in, and I begin to wander away from living out my faith that I have in Jesus, and i got to believe in a room with this many people in there that we all kind of struggle in that way most of the time. And some of us don't even fully realize and understand and recognize the struggle and the battle that we're in, this battle to have faith in Jesus all the time. Uh, Hebrews says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. And we need to have faith in Jesus. And that's what Galatians 2.20 is all about. So let me pray, and then we'll uh, jump into our verse. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you this morning and say thank you for your son, Jesus. We say thank you for grace and for mercy, for your love and your kindness, Lord, that while we were sinners, you have made a way for us to be forgiven of our sin. And I pray, Lord, that the truth of the gospel and the love of Jesus poured out for us, us who are so undeserving, us who are so often ungrateful, Lord, would be such an awesome and amazing and wonderful thing to us today, God that it stirs our affection and our love and our faith for you to leave this place and to um, act on our faith, Lord, living for your glory, walking in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called, Lord. But we need you to do this. We need you to move and stir our hearts by your spirit in this time now. So I pray that you would, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, amen. 
Amen. Well, Galatians 2.20, let me, let me read it to you. You can read along with me. It says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2.20 is a pivotal point in the book of Galatians, and so it's kind of good for you to have a little bit of context. From Galatians 1.1 up until 2, the end of chapter 2, actually, Paul has been um, arguing and articulating the gospel and the importance of faith in Jesus Christ again. Because what had happened was there was a false gospel being spread. Paul actually calls it a false gospel. He says someone's preached to you a gospel, but it's really not even a gospel because the word gospel means good news, and what they've been preaching isn't good news because it's that salvation could come through works. That's not good news, and it's not true. And so Paul is pointing them back to the fact that salvation comes through faith in Jesus. That's the way you are saved. That's the way you're forgiven of sin, is through faith in Jesus. And so now he kind of gets to 220 here at the end of chapter 2, and he wants to kind of summarize with one verse everything that he's been saying. So I kind of thought we could preach on Galatians 1, 1 all the way up to here, but maybe it would just be better just to do one verse opposed to like 50 verses. I hope you're okay with that, all right? But all of what he's trying to say is kind of summed up here in this really pointed thing. Now look with me at this verse again. It says, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Faith in the Son of God. That's what's most important. In all of creation, in all of your time that you exist, there is one thing that matters most, and that's your relationship with Jesus. And how is that? How is your faith in Jesus? What does it look like? Now, God is not looking at you and he is not pleased because of your best efforts, your wise decisions, your good church attendance, or your abstaining from some behavior. This verse tells us that it's through faith in the Son of God. The only reason that God looks at any of us and is pleased in any way is of no merit or effort of our own. It's only through the gift and grace of Jesus Christ, which is fantastic news because I know me and I'm sure you know you and there's nothing in ourselves of our own strength, of our own might, of our own wisdom that could ever make God be pleased with us. It's only through Jesus Christ. So now Paul begins to describe in this verse what then it looks like to be a follower of Jesus who has this faith in Jesus. He's going to kind of explain it and then give us some fuel to live this life at the end of it. Uh, read with me again the verse. He says this, I have been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I want you to write this down. This is point number one. Living my faith means I die to self. It means I die to self. Now look at the verse there. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. What is this all about? In John 3.16, it says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He gave his son to be crucified. His son came to earth and died on the cross physically, taking the punishment for sin that we deserve, that if we believe in him, we can have eternal life, the verse goes on to say. Spiritually speaking, we can have eternal life. So when Paul writes this to the Galatian people and says, I've been crucified with Christ, he's not saying I was nailed to a cross. He's talking about his sinful flesh his personal desires, his inward tendencies of sin. And that's what we need to be killing, we need to be removing from our life. And that's what Paul's getting at here, is that it can no longer be allowed to keep living in our lives. There has to be a dying, a killing to self that goes on. So Paul says he's been crucified. He also said this in Romans 6.6. 6. You can write this down and look it up later. He says, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. The point at the beginning of this verse is killing sin. Paul is about killing sin, crucifying the flesh. It's not allowed to keep living. Now, here's the thing. We're still here on earth, though. 
So we're still living on earth, but the desires of our flesh need to be going away so that, look at the next part of the beginning of the verse there, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who will live in us. I was reading a commentary uh, about this, and they use this word. I'd never read it before, and it's the word cruciformity. I really like this word. It's two words being combined to one. The one word is conformity. The other word is crucifixion, and it's what's happening in this verse here. There's this cruciformity that needs to be happening in our lives. It's the conforming of ourselves to the image of God and crucifying the flesh, all of the selfish desires and sinful nature that we have. That's cruciformity. You and I need to have that going on in our lives. We need to be people who are doing this. Now, maybe you're like, well, that sounds something like another big word that I know. Yes, the word is sanctification. It's the us becoming more like Jesus. As in, and we go through our lives and we are ridding ourselves of sin and be growing in Christ's likeness. But, but here in this verse, we see this changing, and he uses the word crucified. Um, one author, he wrote this. We cannot be firmly rooted in the gospel and not experience a kind of sacrifice and suffering that we might very well call death. Stop there for a second. The reason why this is so important and so heavy for us is because so often in our lives we have habits, we have behaviors, we have sinful tendencies that we have continued to put up with and allow to continue in our lives for so long that need to be removed. And the removal of those practices in many ways will feel like a kind of death. Like part of you is being removed and destroyed. Listen, that's a good thing, though. That's not something you want to keep having around. The, the author wrote, um, if there's no death in our life, there's probably no gospel either. As followers of Jesus Christ, as those who have committed our lives to Jesus, who have trusted in him for the forgiveness of our sin, there needs to be a killing of sin in our life. There needs to be uh, death happening in our life. Do you even know that you are in a battle? Often we don't even think about this, that we need to be killing sin, that we need to be in a battle, that we need to be fighting. It's just not something that we're often thinking about. But Paul here says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. There's a killing, and there is a change. It's Christ who lives in you. Andrew Murray said this, God works in us, the new man, while we are to be putting off the old man. Now, theologically, uh, we are a new creation through Jesus Christ. And our security is in heaven for all eternity. But while we're here on earth, this is what it feels like. God is working in us, the new man. He is changing us slowly, day by day. Sanctification, cruciformity, the changing, us becoming more like Jesus. And it's, it's difficult and it's tough. And while we are here, we are to be putting off the old man. Now, are we ever going to be completely successful at this? The answer is no. No, we're not. But the more we trust in Jesus and the more we look to him and we believe his word and act upon it, the more we'll be able to live this life in the flesh in Jesus Christ, as the verse says, and in faith in Jesus Christ, who God has shown his love with by sending him that we may be forgiven of our sin. Now, maybe you're sitting there right now and you're like, okay, so if Jesus died on the cross and forgave me of all my sins and cleansed me from all unrighteousness, as God's word says, then why do I need to battle with this, this sin thing? Why do I need to keep killing? Why do I need to keep fighting my sinful tendencies if Jesus has already brought victory? Uh, Paul wrote in Romans 6, verse 1 and 2, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? I say this to youth often. There's no way you can sit at the foot of the cross gazing at the wonder and the glory of salvation through Jesus Christ's death and resurrection for your sin and be okay with sin. 
and willfully just continue to do those sins. If you understand what Jesus has done for you, there should be an increasing desire to repent of and leave your sin behind and kill the flesh, die to self, and live for the glory of God. I want you to get a mental picture in your head for a second, okay? So you're standing on a street corner, and around you are all of these kind of like thugs and these bullies. And they've been there ever since you were born. They are the temptations of sin, the desires of flesh, the evil pursuits, the inappropriate thoughts. All of these things are all around you. And they've been controlling and guiding and manipulating your life for as long as you've been alive. They've just been directing you everywhere that you go. And for the most part, you just did whatever they told you to, and and that was fine with you. But if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you understand that that type of behavior and action and attitude is not pleasing to God. And there's consequences for giving into those things and having them rule you and take over your life. And so this is why as followers of Jesus, we feel things like, like conviction. And sometimes we feel things like guilt and condemnation because we know, ah, I don't, I don't want to give into that stuff anymore. I don't want that to rule me anymore. I don't. And this is where we need to fight back. We need to stop letting the bullies push us around and, and give some shoves and give some punches to the, to the, the face of sin Because we're no longer okay with it. Now, by the grace of God, there's people in this room this morning, praise the Lord, who through Christ in you, this is, again, this is not of our own strength, but this is through faith in Jesus Christ. God has given you some victory over some specific sins to land some knockout blows and sin will never, it's still there, but it's never going to attack you the way that it used to. Praise the Lord for that. But sadly, for many believers, we have gotten apathetic in our battle against sin. We stand there and get pushed and shoved and beat and knocked around all of the time because we're just not being intentional about it. We're not being thoughtful about it. We're not willfully going to the Lord and asking him, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. There's victory in that. For Jesus Christ to through me bring victory over sin. To get this, this is a little violent, but listen to me. Punch sin in the face when it falls to the ground, stomp on it, and kick it in the head. Now, for some of you, you're like, oh, pastor just got real violent there for a second. Listen, when Paul writes in Galatians 2, I have been crucified, and he uses that word crucified. For us, we equate the word crucified with the work of Jesus on the cross, and most appropriately, and that's where our salvation and our hope and and forgiveness is. It, It comes from there. But Because we're so disconnected in time from that, we haven't seen the brutality and the devastating effects on the the cross. So as much as punch in the face, kick in the head, it seems violent to us, the people, as they hear this letter read over them and Paul says, I've been crucified, they would cringe, they would shudder at the thought, they would look away and I don't want to think about that. Sin is crucifyingly serious. It needs to be put to death. And sadly, we try to take some middle ground with sin, try to hold hands with sin. We must take the battle of sin seriously. John Owen said, we need to be killing sin or sin will be killing you. What have you killed lately? What sin in your life have you been intentionally attacking and trying to rid from your life by the grace of God and through Jesus Christ working in you? 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. That's a really kind way of saying it's dead. It's been killed. It's been removed. And behold, the new has come. This is cruciformity. This is sanctification. This is us becoming more like Jesus. Is this happening in your life? 
What areas of sin in your life are you standing in the middle of the circle and they seem to be beating you down just a little more than they were before? You seem to be failing in the fight. You seem to be not winning or gaining any ground and it just seems to be getting more and more tempting and difficult for you. Listen, this morning God is saying to you, come, because it's through him that we have victory. It's not in your strength. If you're thinking that this morning you can stand there and just you can land some extra punches and some extra blows and, and if you just change that little thing that you'll have, the, you can't do it. You and I cannot have victory over sin on our own. We need the grace and the help of God. And so I would commend to you two things, really. If you're going to kill sin in your life, two things. Here's the first one. Repent of all known sin. Repent of all known sin. Confess all of the sin that you can come up with and you can think of in your life and come before God and bring it to him and just confess it to him and, and, and then ask him for help. And, and as much as it depends on you, strive to live away from those things. But again, knowing you can't do it on your own, but it's Christ who lives in you that you'll have any success that will make that possible. But that doesn't happen if you don't first recognize the sin that you have. So come to God and repent of all of that sin and, and ask him, God, I need your help with this. Okay, that's, that's part of number two here. And that is you need a kill sin plan. So first you've got to repent of sin, and then you need a kill sin plan. We don't talk about this kind of thing very often in church, the violence that we need to go after sin, but that's how serious sin is. Sin is the reason Jesus had to die on the cross. Sin is a really big deal. So we need a plan to get it out of our lives. Here's step number one. Pray for the death of sin in your life. When was the last time that you prayed and called out to God to punch your sin in the face? Now, that may be my words. You might use different, more eloquent words than that when you're calling out to the Lord. But when was the last time that we did that? We pray to God and ask him to do all sorts of things, and, and rightly so, bringing our petitions and our requests before him, and all of those things are great. But how often are we begging and pleading with the Lord to rid our lives of sin? coming to him and asking him, please, Lord, I can't do this. So we need to pray. And then secondly, we need God's word. Psalm 119.11 says, I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Now, that doesn't mean that you just read your Bible every morning so that you won't sin that day. Oh, I read my Bible, so I won't sin. That's not how it works. It doesn't mean that you just memorize some Bible verses so that you won't sin. The most dangerous thing you could do is walk out of here and think that if you just recite a couple Bible verses, you'll be fine. No, that's not right. You need God's word in your heart, but you need it hidden in your heart so that it changes the way that your head works because what comes out of your head is seen in your life. So you've got to change your heart first. So how do you do that? You get, and I commend this to you, a fight verse. Galatians 2.20 is my fight verse. I share it with everyone now freely, okay? Take this verse and memorize it. Now, this doesn't mean that when sin and temptation come along, you just like spout off this verse. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live with Christ. That's, that's not what you're doing, okay? But you're pausing. I, I, I have recited this verse in my mind, and I'll explain to you how I do it. More than any other verse I've read or recited ever, I believe, just in the last year, as I've really understood what this means to hide God's word in my heart. Whenever there's a thought, uh, a behavior, an attitude, anything that I know is not pleasing to God, I go to this verse and I unpack the theology in it. And so again, it's not just reciting a verse, but it's pausing and going, okay, I have been crucified with Christ. Death to this type of attitude. I cannot have this. I cannot have this. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. God, I need you through your son, Jesus Christ, in me right now to bring victory over this sin. And I know I can't do it because the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God. God, I'm believing in you right now. Please help me with this. 
I can't have victory over this sin on my own. I need you. And I know that you love me, and I know that you'll take care of me because the verse ends and says that you loved me and gave yourself for me. Please, God, help me. That's my kill sin plan for you. Ask God and get a verse and remind yourself of the truth of the theology. Sin is devastatingly serious, and we need to be devastatingly attacking it and seeking for it to be dead and rid from our lives. If you and I are going to live lives of faith, it means that we need to die to self. Here's the next thing. Look at the verse again. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Just pause for a second. If you notice, I've said this verse like 20 times to you now. It's because I'm subliminally trying to get you to memorize it while I'm teaching it to you right now, okay? Just from the preacher to you right now. I'm just tr- I'm trying to help you get it, okay? So, but in the middle of the verse, it says, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Do you live in the flesh or by faith in the Son of God? Do you genuinely live out what you say you believe. This is point number two. Living our faith in Jesus means I must live what I believe. Faith in the Son of God. The truth of the sufficient work of Christ on our behalf, the perfect sacrifice, his help and sustaining power is what we need, that his way is best and that we don't go wrong when we go his way. Do you actually believe this and live this out? Because sadly, often we don't. We say we believe the truth of the gospel and the grace of Jesus Christ, but we live in a contrary way that's dependent on self, not dependent on God, and not living out the faith that we say that we have. David Platt said this, the Christian life is not so much about you and I living for Christ. Pause there for a second, because that's what we often try and do. Oh, I'm just going to live for him. He's done so much for me, now i got to do a whole bunch for him. That is not how it works. He has done so much for you and is currently, continually, and forever doing for you. You can't pay him back, okay? So the Christian life is not so much about you and I living for Christ as it is trusting Christ to live for us and through us and in us. That is faith. It's not your best efforts. It's trusting God. And in that, it feels like we're living for Christ. Because he is the one living in and through us in our lives. But sadly, we fail to fight sin. We fail to seek God for help and strength. We fail to believe that his word is sufficient, that his sacrifice was perfect. We fail to trust him all the time. And we show this by our continued apathy towards killing sin, by our lack of of passion of killing sin in our lives. We're often unwilling to remove sin from our lives. In fact, we do what the psalmists call presumptuous sin. And those are sins that we have so argued in our mind that they're not a big deal, that they aren't a big deal to us anymore. And we don't even really recognize them as sin. And they are sin and they need to be removed. But this all happens when we start trusting in ourselves and not trusting the Lord and living out what we say that we believe. Listen, if we're sinners saved by grace, understanding the forgiveness that Jesus has brought to us at the, at the cross, then we have been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer us who lives, but Christ who lives in us. And the life we now live in the flesh, we need to live by faith in the Son of God. If you are saved by the grace of Jesus Christ, you and I need to live like it. We need to live like it. Now, Paul says this word faith, which means to trust and depend on God. Uh, This means living against our natural sinful tendencies. 
That's what we need to do. We need to train ourselves to go against our natural sinful tendencies. I wrote down a couple of examples. We need to believe that it is best to stand up to the flesh because God says so. We need to believe that it is best to live for his glory because God says so. We need to believe that we need his help and trust him for his help because he says so. We need to live for him with faith. When we fail to do that, we're essentially being spiritual hypocrites. If we took a poll of this room right now of how many people love hypocrites, all right, hypocrites score very low on that poll, okay? Because, because we don't like them because they're not genuine. Listen, so often in our walk with the Lord, we are hypocritical with our faith. We say we believe things, but then we don't act upon them. We don't live like the truth of the love of Jesus has really changed us. If we truly grasp that Jesus loves me, this I know, because Galatians 2.20 tells me so, and that he died on the cross so I could be forgiven of my sin, and he died on the cross so I could be forgiven, that's a huge thing, then we would hate our sin more and live that out more. It would be more evident in our lives. But the problem is we depend and trust on ourselves. We fall in the temptation of loving ourselves more than God and leaning on our wisdom, somehow thinking that we'll be good enough. We can battle past this. We cannot fall into sin again. And we start to believe a lie. And sadly, the only one who's believing this lie is us because God knows the genuineness of our hearts and of our faith. And he knows when we're trusting him and when we're trusting in ourselves. When we don't um, trust in him, we trust in ourselves. And when we trust in ourselves, we walk in sin because ourselves are pulled to sin constantly. The life that we now live in the flesh, we need to live by faith in the Son of God. How is your faith in Jesus? How has your faith in Jesus changed the way that you live and the way that you act? Now, it's important for you to understand and for me to understand that the struggle with sin while we're here on earth until we're removed from the battle that is all around us, that, that it is a battle. It's important to, for us to understand those things that are attacking us. But the thing that gets really scary for me, and as I've been studying this passage, is all of the things that I don't even recognize are attacking me. All of the temptations and things that come against you that, you know, we sit back and we're like, well, I didn't murder anyone this week. I didn't, like, we kind of go through the Ten Commandments and we're like, well, I, I scored only like a negative three out of ten. And, and we fail to see all, that's the scary thing for me. And this is why repenting of all known sin is so important, but then asking God to continue to reveal the other sin that you don't even know about. Example of that would be in a relationship that you have with someone where maybe you, you, you've never articulated it this way, but you would say, I'm always right and they're always wrong. It's just how it kind of continues to go. But what's rooted in that is, is pride. And so you have this relationship with this person that you haven't even really recognized or understood to be sinful, but your heart attitude in that is, is pride. And, and this goes into so many different ways. And so this is why we need to come to the Lord and ask him, reveal this to me. Help me to understand all of these different ways that I could walk in obedience and believe you and trust you and take you at your word and give you glory and honor with my life. How different would our lives be then if, as we understood this, we began to just change the way that we lived and actually die to self? How different would your workplace be if you died to self before you went to work? Less about you, less about your glory, and more about just honoring God with your attitude and with your actions. How different would your family be, your relationship with your kids be, 
if you were less about you and your comfort and your way and your demands. Now, don't get me wrong, parents. Some of those things are very good for you to instill upon your children because they need to know those things. But is your attitude from the Lord that it would bring glory to him with the way that you're caring for those kids? Or is it for your comfort in the moment? How different would it be if we died to self and lived as parents the way that God has called us to? for the salvation and the sanctification and the growing into people who follow Jesus of our kids. How different would your marriage be in this way? If you were less about self, less about your comfort, less about your momentary pleasure, and more about caring for others. See, this is why we have to work on our hearts and grow our faith. Because out of the mouth, the heart speaks. So we need to be working on our heart so that it will change the way that we think and it will change the way that we live. So, Do you believe this? Do you believe God's word is true? Do you believe his love is perfect? Do you believe his laws and his commandments are best because he cares? Do you believe that sin is a big deal? Do you believe that you are in complete need of God's help and intervention all the time? Then we need to act like it and stop trying in ourselves to figure it all out. We need to depend on him and pray to him and run to him and from sin and live what we say we believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, maybe you're sitting there right now and you're like, die to self and live what I believe. This is pretty heavy so far. Yes, it is. But Paul is about to, I'm praying by the Holy Spirit, just pour some gas on your faith fire to give you fuel and motivation to live for the glory of God with your life. Keep reading the verse with me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Look at this. Who loved me and gave himself for me. Here's point number three. Living our faith in Jesus means I let God's love fuel me. I let God's love fuel me. This should bring great confidence as you understand that God has loved you. That word loved me there in the verse refers to God's motive behind the work at the cross. That God would so care about us. Romans 2.4 says that the kindness of God is meant to lead us to repentance. As we begin to see God and his love for us in spite of our sin, that he would be so kind to us in sending Jesus to die on a cross so we could be forgiven of our sin, that should cause our hearts to be stirred in thankfulness to then desire to live a life that's glorifying and pleasing to him. As we understand that while we were yet sinners, he sent his son Jesus to die for us. Romans 5 says that while we were enemies of God, he was doing this work of pouring out his love for us. He loves you. Jesus loves you. That is an awesome thing, that he has loved me and given himself for me. This is why it's so important for as followers of Jesus Christ that you know the gospel. If you're a Christian, you need to know the gospel. And not just so that you can fulfill the Great Commission and share the gospel with other people, but you need to share the gospel with yourself often. When was the last time you preached the gospel to yourself? I try and do this multiple times every day because I need to hear the truth reminded to myself over and over again that I'm a sinner saved by grace and it's only through the work of Jesus that I can be forgiven of sin. And the more that I get to the foot of the cross and understand the salvation and the work that Jesus has done for, the less I want to sin. And the more I will trust in him to take over my life and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me who loved you, and he gave his son for you. John Stott said this, no Christian who has grasped the truth, this truth, the truth of the gospel, of him for me, could ever seriously contemplate reverting to our old self. The problem is that so often we haven't fully grasped the truth. 
We haven't fully grasped the seriousness and the magnitude of our sin that so eternally separated us from God. And because of that, we haven't reciprocated with a love that is overwhelmingly thankful that would cause us to never contemplate reverting to the old life. This is why we need to hear the gospel over and over again. This is why we need to hear the truth of Jesus Christ, that he has loved us, that we may live for him. We must believe that God's way is best, even if it's not easy, because we know that we are sinful, but he has loved us, and he has sent his son to die for us. He who loved me. Look at those three words in that verse there. He who, the four words, who loved me. Okay? Think about, that. Think about who this is for a second. He who spoke the universe into existence. He who upholds the universe by the word of his power. He who has all authority on heaven and on earth given to him. This is who loved you. He who knew no sin took on your sin and my sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That has got to encourage some people in here this morning. God's not up in heaven all angry at you because you messed up in your sin again. He loves you. He hates your sin. He doesn't want that in your life, but he loves you. He loves you and he wants your life to be changed and he wants it to be different because you know him and you know his saving grace. And so in this room right now, there's some people here who you've been hearing me talk about killing sin and getting sin out of your life right now and, there's, and you've never done that. You've never really understood that your sin separates you from God for all of eternity. Listen, you need to know that God loves you. He loves you. He's not angry at you. He's not disappointed at you. He hates your sin, but he wants you to be forgiven. That's why he sent Jesus. And you can be forgiven this morning, right now. You can take a moment and you can ask God for the forgiveness of your sins. This is the truth and the awesomeness of the gospel. And for us who are followers of Jesus Christ, we need to constantly be going back to this truth of what God has done for us. Listen, if we think our sin is only like a negative three in the Ten Commandments scale, we're only going to love Jesus like a plus three. Okay? But our sin is devastatingly negative in the account. And when we understand, this is why in, in Luke 7, Jesus has the woman come, the sinful woman comes, and he says she loves much because she's been forgiven much. She understood the weight and the magnitude of her sin, and it, it, it resulted in this awesome, amazing love for Jesus. Is that you? We need to have this be an increasing thing in our life where we're going back to and we're recognizing our sinfulness, not so that you could sit there and feel guilt and condemnation and shame and the weight of all that sin, because that's forgiven through Jesus Christ. But you need to recognize the sin that you have. I need to see the sin that I have, because the more that I see the sin that I have, the more I'll love my Savior. Pastor Ted, who was here last week, I heard him a long time ago at a question and answer thing. They asked him, what's your favorite doctrine? And he said, the doctrine of depravity. And I sat there and I was like, what? The doctrine of your depravity? And he went on to articulate with tears in his eyes how the more he understands how sinful he is, the more he loves Jesus. And I've been stealing that ever since I heard him say it. Because as I understand what God has done for me in the past, it only fuels me for the future. It only fuels me more to live for him. As we see what God has done for us, it should strengthen our faith. It should fuel our faith to live what we believe. I love the story, uh, you're probably familiar with it, in 1 Samuel of this young man. His name was David, and he fought a guy named Goliath. Goliath was like nine foot six. He's this giant. Many of you are familiar with this story. Um, it says that David was ruddy and handsome, which means he was kind of just like this 
young, cute, good-looking kid, all right? And then you've got this like nine-foot-six man of war. And so the nation of Israel and the Philistines are about to have this battle, okay? They're about to have this battle where one warrior comes out and they fight each other. Now, Saul, the king of Israel, he should have gone out and fought. He was a head taller than everybody else. He didn't want to do it. David comes to camp to deliver some supplies to his brother. And as he gets there, he sees this and he says, I'll fight him. And you know the story. He comes in before Saul, and Saul's like, no way you're going out. Now, in 1 Samuel uh, 17, this is what David said. He says to Saul, I have fought both lions and bears. Plural. (laughs) Plural. If I'm a little shepherd boy, and my dad sends me out to the sheep, and I get the sniff of one lion, let alone fight it and have victory, I ain't never going back to those sheep. Never. He has fought both lions and bears. And then he says, this Philistine will be like one of them, for God will deliver him into my hand. Why can he do that? Why can he do that? Because he can look back at God's past faithfulness and care and love and let that fuel him to trust him for the future, that it's no longer us who live, but Christ who lives in us, because he has done this work of salvation for us that I know he will carry me through. This is the truth of the gospel that we need to hear over and over again, that God is with us, that God is with you, that God loves you, that God is for you. That should change you. Do you know this? Is it changing you? Is the truth of the love of Jesus actually affecting you and fueling your life to live for him? We could list sin and all sorts of things that you need to change, but ultimately, if it doesn't come down to understanding that God has loved you, it's just going to be behavior modification, not heart transformation. Let your heart be filled this morning with the love of Jesus for you. Let your heart be filled with uh, conviction to live for him and to trust in him and to honor him with your life because we can't do it on our own. We need his help. We need to let the love of God fuel us for his glory. I'm going to ask you just to bow your heads right now. And I believe in this room right now, there's two kinds of people. There's people in this room right now who you um, have heard me speaking about the need to kill sin and the death of sin in our life, and, and you don't have victory over sin. The relationship with Jesus is not something that you have. You need to know that God's word tells us that if you come to him and believe by faith and ask him for the forgiveness of your sin, He is faithful and just, and he will forgive your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness, not by your works, not by your merit, but by your faith in Jesus. And I want to encourage you, if you've never had your sins forgiven, if you've never come to Jesus and asked for forgiveness, to right now, with your head bowed, ask Jesus to forgive your sin. Ask him to come into your life, to change you, to make you more like his son and give you victory over sin and help you to live a life that's pleasing and honoring to him. There's also people in this room right now who you are followers of Jesus Christ. You've put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, but if you're honest, you just haven't been fighting sin very much lately. You haven't been killing sin. Or there's been some specific sin that you know you need to kill. You need to attack. You need to have victory over. And I want to encourage you just to take this moment in the quietness of this, of this room and go before the Lord and ask him, Ask him to bring victory over sin in your life. Ask him to strengthen your faith to trust in him and believe that all that he says about himself and his word is true and to act and respond upon it. We can't do this on our own. We need God's help. 
Heavenly Father, I thank you for your son, Jesus. I thank you for your love that was poured out for us at the cross that we could say today that we have been crucified with Christ if our faith is in you, that it's no longer us who lives, Lord, that we could be uh, living lives of cruciformity, dying to self, living this, this life of, of change, of sanctification, Lord, for your glory. We need you to do this, God. And I pray, Lord, that you would be stirring in our hearts a greater conviction to live this faith out for you, to honor you with our lives, with obedience and with affection and love and worship and glory to you. And God, we can't do it on our own. We need your help. So we ask, Lord, that you would, by your spirit, you would give us help. Thank you for the, the truth of the gospel that gives us comfort, Lord, the comfort that comes from knowing the love of Christ poured out for us. God, I pray that we would leave here today with our faith in you strengthened and stirred and our affection growing. God, for your glory, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.